Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. This is the after show episode for Everything's Under Control by Megan Gailey and Aaron Burdett. Megan is a terrific stand-up comedian and Aaron has written on Man Seeking Woman and Close Enough. These two are great. And we had a really fun and occasionally poignant conversation. Poignant because the pilot deals with Alzheimer's and we talk about their experiences with that disease. And also because we talk a lot about our dear friend Jamie Tarsus, who was the producer on this project. I didn't talk to Megan and Aaron for our Jamie tribute episode because I knew we were going to be reading this pilot and I would have a chance to get their stories here. And boy, they have some really great Jamie Tarsus stories Uh, and it's also always fun hearing writers talk about the thrill and the naive excitement of selling their first show which was the case here Hey, if you enjoy Dead Pilot Society will you do me a favor, uh, just a quick favor will you subscribe if you haven't already and maybe you could uh, also leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts that really helps other people find the show you know what else helps other people find the show is you telling a friend about the show so if you've got you know someone who might uh, enjoy what we do here please let them know okay here is my interview with megan gailey and aaron burdett talking about their pilot everything's under control i listen to bullseye because jesse always has really good questions what did john malkovich wear when he was 20 I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Megan, Aaron, so we... um, I'm starting, by the way. Yes. This, this no, we love it. It's happening. Okay. Um, I'm going to turn my air conditioner off. <laughs> okay. So in the quick little interview we did before the read, uh, you know, you guys talked a little bit about where this all started. And you you said that the dealing with Alzheimer's was kind of a magical time. And I'm wondering if you could elaborate uh, on that. I think I, I, yeah, I think I'm the one that said it, and so I probably need to own up to it. Um, for my family specifically, I had always lived very far from my grandparents and felt a very close relationship with my grandmother despite that distance, but we never got to be around each other all the time. And so selfishly, when she moved in with us, I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to be around her. And... It, for her, her life had been riddled with a lot of tragedy and hard things that had happened. Um, and I think in some ways she forgot some of that and some of the people she was angry with. And she also was in a home that was very loving and very supportive. She also got on antidepressants for the first time, having asked for them for 50 years. And it just... It became a a loving environment where I think even though she didn't know exactly what was happening all the time, she did feel as though she was surrounded by love. And 
my mom is a nurse. She is a nurse. There was the medical part of it was taken care of. And so it was really the psychological and the emotional stuff that we were trying to help with. And being around her and getting to spend time with her was one of the most transformative times in my life. And 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 she said that it was one of the happiest times of her life as well. Wow. Yeah. And a similar thing uh, on my end my grandfather had Alzheimer's. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's not a joyful disease by any stretch, but it does kind of remove some of these people's inhibitions. And I'd always known him as a very stoic, like I knew that he had a good sense of humor, but like he was very quiet and he didn't like it didn't come out a lot. But kind of in the early stages uh, of his disease, he started like getting up and dancing and like singing Johnny Cash at a karaoke thing that my uh, parents put together. And they were, everybody was like shocked. They couldn't believe that he was getting up there, like singing Johnny Cash. Uh, like he would be a little bit more uh, kind of jovial at times. And then obviously it, you know, over time that that stuff kind of starts to fade, but there is a, like a discover, there's a period of discovery where you're like, oh my God, there's like this person under here that I didn't really know existed and they're coming out for the first time because there's no filter anymore. Mm -hmm. There's there's almost like a childlike um, wonder that happens. I, I worked in a retirement community after my grandmother passed away and we would have Alzheimer's patients. And I remember a specific woman, the sweetest woman you ever met. And she would just like get the biggest smile on her face when anybody walked in the room. And I was talking to her daughter one day. I was like, your mom is just so lovely. And she said, my mom was a really mean, hateful person before this. <laughs> and so, you know, some people are really kind and it makes them extremely confused and angry and they become more hateful. But for some people, it is a shedding of resentment and held on to anger and, and inhibitions. Yeah, I guess that's the best case is that the the, the unpleasant memories fade and the, the happy ones stay and you're seeing someone uh, you know, be there be their best self. Yeah, I had a great aunt who had been a singer in her 20s and she would just sing all these old like show tunes and stuff. Or, you know, really, she was, I mean, these were songs from like the 30s or something she would sing and it was this kind of amazing thing. I didn't live with her, so I didn't see if there were bad moments, but, um, and I guess the, the, the moments that are hard, which you have in the pilot a little bit, is that the moments uh, of realization and I guess even if Gail doesn't even realize it, it's more Megan, your character realizes that that Gail is forgetting what was just happening a, f a few moments ago. Mm -hmm. And I guess that, you know, those can be hard for the caretakers, you know, and not necessarily hard for the patient unless they're really realizing and getting upset and disoriented by it. Mm -hmm. um, in my grandmother's case, she was always very critical of my mom, but not of me. And then when, because I'm her granddaughter, you know, and that's just a totally different relationship. And then when she was diagnosed and the disease started to progress, there were times where she thought I was my mom. And so 
then she would be very mean to me. Um, and, and my mom would have to go to her and be like, you can be mean to me, but you can't be mean to her. I remember her like pushing a cart at me in a target. And it's like, if an old person is assaulting you, everyone's like, what did you do for that old person to assault you? And you just have to sort of be like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. She's, <laughs> she's lost it. You know, we like her, but she's not, she's not here with us right now. And, and you know, it's not, it's not based in reality, but it, it can still hurt at times for sure. Yeah. Had you guys seen before writing this, had you seen any portrayals of this disease in film or TV that you felt got it right? Hmm. I, I mean, I saw Still Alice, which is about early onset Alzheimer's, and I'm sure that's an accurate portrayal of that. It, it feels very accurate. Yeah. But um, it was so depressing uh, <laughs> on purpose. Uh, but like, just like the most, I saw that alone in a theater and like. Me too. Yeah. Like on the coldest day of the year in Brooklyn. Yeah. And it was just like me and four sad women. Oh, weird. Maybe we were in the same theater. <laughs> we should have sat together. Uh, um, yeah. I like walked out of that movie just like. Oh my God. Like I couldn't, I was like, I think life is, uh, dire and <laughs> there's no joy <laughs> and like, couldn't like it, it really like hit me. And I think something that, uh, Megan and I started talking about when we first started talking about the show is like, we want this to be a show that shows the hard stuff. We don't want to just like pretend like it's not hard, but we also want to show that like life continues that like a lot of fun, kind of like moments that you never would have predicted happen around this disease. Like there's things you just like can't help but laugh about because they're so absurd. All of my family has stories like that for, with my grandfather. Megan has a ton of stories like that with her grandmother. Um, so I don't know if I'd ever seen it portrayed the way we were going for. I don't want to say that it hasn't been portrayed that way because I'm sure there's, I haven't seen everything, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't think I had. Yeah, I think it's maybe on my mind just because I've been rewatching Friday Night Lights with my kids, and I don't know yeah. if you guys remember that, but mm -hmm. like Matt Saracen's grandmother, there, you know, the, the, I just watched an episode where there's a moment where she, you know, kind of lashes out at Landry, who's supposed to be watching her, and then thinks that Matt is his grandfather, and you know, they, you know, it, it's a small part of the show, obviously, but it felt like that was a show that was, you know trying to take that on um but uh but obviously not not a comedy um mm -hmm. so you know mm -hmm. what you guys were trying to do obviously a lot harder so you guys you're, you're set up by your agents you have this lunch or whatever it was where you immediately start talking about that you have this in common then what happened? How did you find your way to Jamie Tarsus with this idea? Like, you know, what sort of happened next once you decided, okay, we want to write about this shared experience we have? Um, yeah, we started, uh, I don't want to just keep talking, Megan, feel free no. to jump in. <laughs> um, we started just kind of brainstorm. Like we immediately were like, I think we know, I think we know kind of what this show could be. Like we did just sort of have a strong idea about it, which to me almost, you know, it's rare that you feel that strongly about an idea. And so I was like, we have to work on this. And we kind of like worked on a rough, uh, like, like a one pager, almost like a short, just kind of pitch of what we thought, how we thought it would work and showed it to our manager who had was the one who set us up. And she was like, yeah, you need to like 
make this into a pitch dock and go pitch it around. And we pitched it to um, several different places that like not not that many, but we were trying to find a producer who we thought would kind of get what we were going for. And I personally had not heard of Jamie. Uh, I didn't know who Jamie was. I was new and naive. And uh, we like when we met with her, uh, I remember the, the first like everybody else that we had met with. We like went in and they were like, so I read your pages, good pages, uh, like go ahead and tell me like what you're thinking. And we would kind of like get into our little groove of a pitch. And with Jamie, we kind of sat down. And I think we're used to that. And we were like, um, so yeah, so I guess this show just kind of started. We were talking. She was like, I don't know anything about the show. I need you. <laughs> I didn't read anything about this. I need you to pitch it to me like I've never heard of it or, or of you because I haven't. <laughs> it made me laugh. Like it was very, it wasn't brusque. It was like a very disarming way of saying that. And I was like, wow, okay, I like this person. And then we pitched it to her just kind of straight up because uh we had to uh she put us on the spot a little bit and then she asked us like a ton of really great questions and had a bunch of stories herself um i don't know i don't know how you felt megan but i remember leaving that meeting being like i think we have to work with her yeah i i also did not know who she was um and and i'm happy i think looking back on it because i think i would have been much more nervous i remember she was on a lot and so that was really cool to me like i got to drive past like the little minion statue so i was like this lady's somebody but i didn't i didn't know the the legend of her and i guess and i should should interject here for people who haven't listened to the dead pilot society tribute to jamie that jamie was someone who was she was the first woman to run a network. She, she was president of ABC. She was the youngest person and the most female person uh, to run a network at that point. And then after that, um, and she came from that after having worked at Warner Brothers, where she was instrumental in getting friends off the ground. And then after that stint at ABC, she was uh, a producer for many, many years. And everyone should listen to our episode to learn even more about her. And now, sorry, continue, yes. Megan. Well, also, and if somebody had told me any of that before the meeting i would have shit my pants exactly and would not have done a good job. exactly and and the thing is like out here it's not like you're going to meet losers like everybody has done something but um jamie after we met with jamie our, our mutual manager called me and she had not called me after the other meetings and she was like how did it go um and i was like oh i think it went really well she's really cool and she was like really and i was like yeah she was really nice and she was like oh okay like because she knew the legend of her but did not know her personally and so then i was like i gotta look up who this person was and then i think aaron and i started texting like oh shit that's like a we we went in there really blind um and 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 Jamie was disarming too. Like, I think she, they were like, sorry, she's finishing working out. Like, it wasn't like she's on a call with Obama, like nothing crazy. They were just like, she's on an elliptical. She's going to be five minutes late. And so you didn't get the vibe of like, we are meeting a Hollywood legend um, until other people would be like, wait, you went with her. And then you're like, oh, okay. This, this is big. This is big. And so she then you just hear from the managers like, OK, Jamie's actually interested in, in pursuing this. Yeah. Right away. Like we I was like, well, I guess we have to have a discussion. Like, hopefully one of these people likes this idea and I hope it's Jamie. But who knows? And then like within a few hours, 
after the meeting, I think it was the same day, maybe the next morning, our manager called and was like, Jamie wants to go with you. You shouldn't wait on anyone else. You should just do this. <laughs> like, yes. she, she was like, uh, like, I know that there's other people you're waiting to hear from, but we're just going to tell them we found somebody. So cool, you got it. And I was like, all right, sounds like a plan. Yeah. And now at this point in your careers, um, so Megan, you've been a stand-up for many years, you know, have yeah. several years, seven years, this, I think, seven, seven years seven. at this mm-hmm. point. And had you written pilots, written scripts before this? No, I had had, um, one, I had had maybe a few writing jobs all on non-scripted, like comedy central shows. And I think at that point, all of them were like sports related. Okay. And Aaron, had you been on Man Seeking Woman? Like, had you had you been wor- working already? Yeah, I, I had done Man Seeking Woman and then was like, had, uh, I had written a bunch of like my own pilots, some of which like got set up with uh, studios and we went and pitched them and none of them sold. Um, so I had never sold a show before, but I'd written a lot of scripts. And so... Yeah, this was it was a completely new like all of this was a new process to me once we actually sold it, uh, which I also couldn't believe we had. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, oh, they want to do the old person uh, Alzheimer show. <laughs> OK, we we did it. Right. So that's once you sold it to ABC. So backing up before that. OK, but so sure, you've, sure. you you're you're in the writer's guild and you've you've worked on a show or two. And and Megan, this this is going to be your first real half hour script that you're writing. Yeah. So Jamie, you know, you hear Jamie likes the idea. Um, and then sort of how did it go? from there in terms of shaping, you know, had you, you, so you, when you're talking to her, you'd already decided here's, here's our main character that this is going to be, I guess, sort of some version, Megan, of your grandmother. Uh-huh. I, I assume you went with the grandmother of Aaron, your grandfather got, you know, that you decided on that. And Indianapolis is where you're from, Megan? That's where I'm, uh, it's where I'm from. And my grandmother and I did share a bedroom okay. um, when I would come home from college uh, my parents were at, like not in the house that it's complicated, but at one point her and I shared twin beds in a bedroom together. Okay. Um, and the rest of these family members, like my, my favorite, uh, Brad, um, are the, are these all drawn from, from real life relatives? I think Brad is Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brad, Brad is like young me. Um, I was very interested in old Hollywood and like, I had like this, I was interested in a lot of things, but I was, I like loved the movie Casablanca as a teenager. Uh, nobody else that I knew was into it. I started watching like noirs and double indemnity and like all these other things that would just like want to quote them to, and no one cared. (laughs) And so when we were trying to think of like, what's an interesting take on a teenager so that it's hopefully not just the same old character. I was like, well, I was like a, a nerd about a very weird specific thing. Maybe we can find like the modern equivalent. So mm-hmm. it was the West Wing. And I loved uh, the West Wing and would watch with my parents every week. I watched Jeopardy with my parents every day. Like I've got a little Brad in me too. Right. Yeah. A lot of us writers yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> there weren't that many yeah. kids who wanted to talk about the Marx Brothers with me <laughs> as, a, as a kid or look through my shelf of books about the Marx Brothers. Um, 
But, you know, you do. He's got all of Dobie Gillis on yes. DVD, too. So it's not just the West Wing. It's just yeah. like he's it's old stuff. It's old stuff. Bob Newhart and like um, just such a such a great character. So you're kind of coming up with these characters as amalgams of your your family members and yourselves. And yeah. Um, and is that process because, you know, because this is the first thing you two are writing together, how how smooth was that process and how like what what did conflict resolution look like or did uh, that not really just happen <laughs> it was very very smooth um to probably our detriment because then at some point no conflict arose but we did turn in a bad first draft um down the road and we were like oh no everything had been good everybody had liked it up until this point and so it we had we had like shockingly smooth sailing i think yeah we our first draft of the pilot so this is skipping ahead a little but uh we we just said yes to everything each other came up with i think <laughs> it was really long uh and like i have like a tendency to want to make jokes like really weird uh and i think like we added a bunch of jokes in there that were just kind of like strange simpsonsy nonsense <laughs> And for a live action show about Alzheimer's and uh, like Jamie like read it and was like, OK, guys, uh, bad news is this doesn't work. The good news is the structure is totally fine. And all you have to do is rewrite basically every joke, uh, which this was before it made it to the studio, like before anyone saw it. But her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but Jamie, Jamie had a deal at ABC studio, I believe. Yeah. And so that's why we we just went there. That was the first um, first and only studio we pitched to. And was ABC the first and only network as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you really only had so you pitched to Jamie. Well, you pitched to a bunch of producers, but once you land with Jamie, you then go and pitch to the studio. They say we want it. You pitch to the network. They say we want it, and you're you're off to the races. Yeah. Yes, um, it was insane to me. I, yeah. I I was so naive to it. I kept going, "When do we get paid?" Like, I was like, <laughs> "At what point is a check written?" Because I was so excited after ABC Studio, and then they were like, "No, you don't get paid yet." And I'm like, "Just let me know when that happens." and then I'll get really excited. Right. Um, yeah, it's confusing because it seems like, oh, we sold this to the, to the studio. We get paid. It's like, no, that's uh -uh. not really. We're using this term sold kind of in a weird way. It's not really. There's no money exchanged at this point. Yeah. I'm sure it was sort of some kind of if come yes. meaning. Yes. If you sell they, it to the network, then you'll get paid. But yeah. if you don't, then, you know, that if come deal and the if come deal when you're new is the most like it's like somebody's dangling a bag of infinite cash in front of your face and going if everything goes perfectly you get this <laughs> yeah. and you're like whoa what and they're, it's because it includes like merchandising and like <laughs> down right. the road like yeah. if this becomes a movie you get 12 million dollars <laughs> yeah and it's like we have a lot of steps to get through before any of this comes to fruition but it's nice to know that i have a lottery ticket now that i have to sign i know yes so these if come <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's funny, you know, just to, for people that don't know, like they basically the studio wants to have the whole agreement in place for every eventuality for for spinoffs and movies and toys and whatever that that's all been worked out. 
in case you sell it, it's not like, oh, now we sold it. Now we've got you over a barrel and now we make the deal. Like, no, that's all in place beforehand. But it's a very strange thing because it often goes back and forth and back and forth for, you know, and then it's like, oh, we pitched it and we didn't sell it. And it was just like <laughs> everyone has just wasted a tremendous amount of negotiating time. Um, yeah, that's happened to me multiple times. Yeah, that that's just happening. You know, you do this long enough, that's, you know, it's going to happens to everybody. Um, but it had to have been just so exciting <laughs> that this was like just all happening. So sort of effort, not effortlessly, but smoothly. That yeah. is just like yes after yes. Mm-hmm. I was the other thing about it is now that I'm thinking about it, I was pitching another show at the same time that like I had developed the living shit out of like I had worked so hard on it. I had like written a pilot uh, on my own to like attach as like a script. That was my decision. The studio didn't make me do that. Never do that. Uh, um, like it, it was just like this labor of love that I was pouring myself into. And then like when Megan and I did this, I was like, yeah, this will be a nice thing to pitch also. Like it wasn't the number one thing on my mind because I was stressed out about the other one. And then when we would go into these pitches, I just would kind of be like, yeah, you know, if this doesn't work out, I've got my like definite winner in the other corner (laughs) that absolutely did not get bought. Yeah. You'll learn that's kind of how that's uh, that's how it goes a lot of the time. It's that one where, you know, that you have a little bit of senioritis or whatever that the one you're not putting so much onto those are the ones that often end up going the, you know the ones you're sure about those those often don't um, when you pitched it was it a lot of um, in any of these pitches I assume it was a lot of stories about yourselves and your your own families yeah yeah that's how oh. we would open uh, Megan told I, I told kind of a short story and then Megan has like a very funny story about her grandmother that she would tell to kind of open it up. And then we just kind of dive into the characters and the, the, um, the specifics and what, what we thought the show would be from there. All right. Let's hear the story, Megan. Gosh, now I'm like, <laughs> I know it's, I know it was when my brother, um, got engaged and I, yeah. my grandmother told us like my grandmother was like, Oh, Bill would want me to, um, give a speech. And so she like gave a speech and now I'm fully forgetting my own story. And then <laughs> the setup sat- is that, is that yeah. your grandfather was, uh, my- like a philandering, like yeah. adulterous, uh, like kind he of- left her for a woman who worked at the country club. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, he did something worse that Aaron and I also tried to do on the show about with Jamie. Yeah. Wow, wow. How much we've taken from my poor dead grandfather, who was a wonderful pediatrician. You know, just <laughs> loved, as I say, just loved pussy. You know, you couldn't help it. Um, and then my, I remember what, and so the, what was the, what was the punchline even? How terrible uh, is this? I have his, Alzheimer's. His name, well, I put you on the spot by telling, by setting up that it was very funny. Uh, <laughs> but um, it is, it, his name's Bill, right? Your yes, grandfather? Bill. So your grandmother uh, is like, I should give a speech um, because uh, Bill would want me to do that. Yeah. Um, like she's kind of in a bit of it, like she's a little bit down the road with Alzheimer's. Like she doesn't quite remember her, her husband very clearly. And she stands up and she gives like a beaut like she like you helped her, I think, she like, put it. together yeah. a speech. Mm-hmm. She did like a beautiful speech, like nailed it and then like sat down and is like, uh, Bill would have liked that, wouldn't he? And then you're like, you kind of nodded. And then she goes, 
I hated Bill, didn't I? <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that, how sad is it that I've forgotten my own story? Um, because I have, I do a lot of jokes about her too, and sometimes I'm like, oh, oh my god, so much Nani. I got a little painting she did sitting right here. <laughs> so, and in the rooms, that, like when you were pitching it to ABC, it felt like okay, this is going, this this is going well. They're into this, and. Um, you did they buy it in the room? Did they say we'd love to do this right then, or did they like talk to Jamie afterwards, or how, how did that go? They did not buy it in the room. One of my like, I had an agent for like a very short time who was wonderful, and he had left and gone to ABC, and so he was in there and like was really smiling and just like looking at me like wow. And then when we were leaving, he like gave me a wink, and I was like, I feel like that went well. And it was within probably twenty minutes, I think. It was it was quick. Yeah. Jamie told me in the elevator, she was like, don't feel bad. They never buy anything in the room anymore. And I was like, feel bad. I feel, I thought it went great. She was like, just don't be worried. I was like, I've never sold anything. So in the room to me would have been insane. Right. But yeah, they, they did. They called us, Jamie called us like 20. I had just made it to my car yeah, in, the, right. in the ABC lot. And Jamie called me and said, okay, uh, they're getting it. They're buying it. <laughs> and I was like, they're buying what? <laughs> no, no, they're not. Like it, it was a, a very surreal moment. Yeah. And what we would sort of like end it on um, was, you know, this is a deeply personal story for us. It's not just something we're like, this would be fun to write about. And so our parents were very invested in it. You know, like it was Aaron's mom. It was her father. My mom, it was her mother. Beth is very, um, very much based on a lot of my mom, some of Aaron's mom. It's it was really a, a story of all of our families. And so we would end it by being like, please make our moms happy. But then when we got the call, it wasn't just being like, oh my God, mom and dad, I, I sold a TV show. It's like, we sold a TV show that's based on our family. And, and that just sort of made everyone around us, I think, so excited for us too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're it writing it way more important. Yeah. And you're writing a character named Megan. I mean, you're yeah. writing a character yeah. that's that's obviously kind of, you know, uh, the, the autobiographical nature is is pretty clear. And then how worried were they during the development process about the subject matter and about it being too sad? Was that something that came up a lot? Did you have to calibrate that or did you kind of just like calibrate that on your own and they were good with what you did? More the latter. Um, when we pitched it, I think we had a clear idea that we didn't want it to be overwhelmingly sad. We wanted it to have like moments of sadness. And then maybe as the show progressed, as you get further into it, and you know, the characters better, you can get a little sadder, uh, like have episodes that deal with like more dramatic subjects later on. But we like the pilot, we kind of had a pretty good handle on how how we wanted it to be. And the thing that I think was cool about the process with ABC is they were like, Hey, this happened to you. So you tell the story. You're the experts. Yeah. Like they really didn't, they, they didn't ever see like the things that they were worried about were more like, uh, production related or like, uh, kind of structure related. And like, are we spending too much time in the house? Um, like, should we get out of the house more? Like they were like, those kinds of things are what they were worried about. They were never worried about how we were approaching Gail. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. This summer, 
which is uh, just coming to an end, coming to an end, has been rough for all of us because it was supposed to be great. It was supposed to be great, and then it wasn't. And we were dealing when everything was terrible, but it was just when we were told it was going to be better and then it wasn't. I think that's where a lot of us started to really... Uh, struggle. Look, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have. Life can be stressful. It's just um, for all of us. We're just dealing with so much uncertainty. Uh, it's the, the pressure on our relationships has been huge. Um, I'm hearing it from everyone I know. And look, you may not be feeling depressed. Maybe just depressed adjacent. You know, if your stress is high. You could probably use the chance to unload, to unload, to get it out, to talk to someone who's completely unbiased about your life. Someone who's not going to judge you or take sides on anything. Friends are amazing, but they're not unbiased. And sometimes there's things that they just aren't really equipped to help you with. There's some things you need, you know, that outside person. And you'd be surprised at how much it can help. And better help is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. And it's more affordable than in-person therapy. Just see if it's for you. I mean, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Dead Pilot Society listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash deadpilots. So have your first session in under 48 hours. Stop feeling terrible. Just stop feeling like there's nothing you can do to stop feeling terrible. Have your first session in under 48 hours at B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash deadpilots. We've got a new sponsor, and I am so excited. Uh, it's something I use all the time and love. It's Cobas. Cobas. Q-O-B-U-Z. What is Cobas? Cobas offers music streaming and downloads in high-res quality. It's artist-approved sound. It's the highest sound quality available. I have a feeling you might be using another streaming service. You are not getting the sound you deserve. And Cobas has everything. I mean, it's been, I've tried. It's really hard to stump them. They've got a library of over 70 million tracks. They also have a download store so you can buy your favorite albums to add to your collection and enjoy them forever. Look, music connoisseurs and audiophiles rely on Cobas for a complete music experience. Uh, they offer, they also offer liner notes, album reviews, artist interviews, handpicked playlists, exclusive editorial content. It's really cool. I'm telling you, you go, to the site it's like going to a cool record store in a way it's not just this like soulless algorithm it's writers and people just like the playlists they they curate and put together and and the articles and the information it's like a great music magazine and a great way to discover music. Um, look, I'm a music obsessive, and I really, uh, I, I love using Cobas. And so you can try Cobas with a one-month free trial at artistapprovedsound.com. That's artistapprovedsound.com. Music lovers, check it out. We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, 
Well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek, what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone. Every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. And, and Gail's, like, where she is in the course of this disease, like, it feels like she's in fairly early stages, right? Yeah. She, she's mm-hmm. she's pretty with it for most of the time. Um, yeah. You just have those little, and, um, and, and I assume, you know, that your idea was like, hopefully we want this to last a little many seasons. We don't want to start her where she's really. Yeah too far gone. Right. And, and and Beth being a nurse was also like, we're not just going to throw someone who has a neurological disease in a house with a bunch of like graphic designers, you know, like there's got to <laughs> be someone, a part of this family that does know scientifically what's going on and is a quote unquote, like trained caregiver too. Right. Um, and the Benihana set piece scene is that was that something taken from real life or Benihana? I mean, Indianapolis is truly like we we wrote another show. We sold another show to ABC that was set in Indianapolis. Like I'm really trying to make Indianapolis happen, <laughs> and so Benihana is for lack of, of for lack of more options one of the nicest restaurants you're going to go to there <laughs> and it's where my family always went for every like big occasion and so it just sort of was an integral part of my family story yeah i love that idea of just the steam from the <laughs> like from that bucket of just being the, the the thing that enables gail to make her escape um they so, love that volcano. Uh-huh, yeah, that uh-huh. volcano. Um, and then, you know, obviously you, you have this sort of B story, this sort of, you know, somewhat self-contained B story of trying to get the deposit back from, you know, from the aborted wedding. Um, <laughs> but w- what were you thinking in terms of the story engines for this show as it went forward? How much thought, you know, had you put into that? And how much did you talk about that in the pitch of sort of just like, okay, what's we've got these great characters in this family. Um, you know, what's what were the stories going to be about going forward? A lot of it was um, about kind of the like kind of the themes that we said we wanted to play with were like um, the, this kind of like period of vast change that was happening to everybody. And like Megan's arc uh, in the series was going to be like the arc of a person who's lost, who doesn't really know what she wants to do, kind of quits a lot of things, never really lands on anything. And then by working uh, with Gail and kind of getting more involved in her care over the course of a few seasons discovers that she also wants to be a nurse. Um, so we had kind of like some serialized stories like that in mind. Um, we, we, uh, we also kind of pitched out, like, I don't remember what all this, what the stories were, but we pitched out several stories that were just about the rest of the family and made it clear 
that this wasn't a show that was going to be exclusively about Alzheimer's. We didn't want every single episode to be like, okay, like Gail's lost again. Like we wanted to be sure that uh, there was like, there was a diversity of stories and uh, we had like a, a love interest for Megan that we pitched in the pitch mm-hmm. that was not in the pilot, but was like going to be a person who entered her life um, to kind of make up for her botched wedding. Um, I can't, I can't think of what all our stories were for Beth and Daryl, but they all had them. And mm-hmm. a lot of them separated it away from the kind of like sad parts, but we did also have other Alzheimer's based episodes in that pitch too. Yeah, Cause it is, you know, for, it, it's the hook of the show, right? It's the thing that mm-hmm. separates it from just any other family show. And yet I can see that it's a challenge to, you know, to, to be going in there and saying like, Every week we're going to be exploring another aspect of Alzheimer's. And that's just, you know, it, it, um, I feel like the networks have, have this desire to do a show about this. You know, I've, I've heard over the years about other pilots that have sold that are in this, you know, area and dealing with this. And yet they seem to always kind of like at the last minute, just decide, I don't think we're going to like actually pick this up to series. Um, and you know, it's just this interesting thing where I think they recognize there's so many people who are dealing with this in their lives. Like it's a part of so many, you know, people are living longer and this is such a prevalent disease and there's so many people who have this experience. And so that draws them to it. And then they kind of just chicken out at the, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the last minute. I mean, did you, when it didn't go, were you told anything specific or was it just the the, the usual, well, they really loved it, but they're going with something else? We were, we were told a lot um, because <laughs> it was, there was a lot of um, back and forth. There was a changing of the guard from who we sold it to, to then who was going to be making the final decision. <laughs> um, and so, and like, you know, this is our first time at bat. So we weren't really familiar with that. So we kind of had to write a new short pitch for it to go to that new guard. And then we were told um, if we got a certain person attached to it, that it was going. And so we actually wrote a letter to that person. Um, we know that that person read the letter and or I, we don't know if the person read the letter, but they said no. Um, and it was basically it was not because of us. It was because of a past um business situation and so we were we we were on the cusp of getting picked up or not going for about three weeks and it was true agony like (laughs) i would my every time my phone did anything you just like jumped and it was like is this going to be it And, and jamie was calling and every time she would call, you'd be like, okay, she's going to have news. And she'd be like, okay, so I had lunch with so-and-so. Like, she she was just, like, really working the system. And I remember even being at the Super Bowl and, like, because I was there for work. And it wasn't day of. It was, like, the day before. And I was on the phone with Jamie. And Eli Manning walked by. Joel Olstein walked by. And I'm just, like, laughing. And Jamie's <laughs> like, what is going on? I'm like, I just interviewed the Backstreet Boys. Shit is crazy here. And so it was, like, life was still going on around us. Aaron was in a room I was in a room and we had full-time jobs but this was our number one thing I remember leaving my husband's birthday dinner for us to address notes like we poured everything into this and then when it didn't happen 
there were tears on all sides. Mm-hmm. There were tears from us, from Jamie, from the studio. Mm-hmm. It. Um, we got a beautiful email from someone we worked with at the studio that was like, I know this didn't go, but you changed the way I interact with my grandmother that has Alzheimer's. And so oh, it was wow. like, that's really all we wanted to do was to be able to have like an impact on a situation that we had been through. And so it was like, you know, we didn't get to do it on the grand scale, but we did get to do it on the on the small scale and impact some lives. Yeah. Which is amazing, you know, that you, you made it through that, you know, that you made it through that development process, staying true to what you knew to be your real experience of this, because it's it is so easy to in that process to lose your way and start writing things that are just like that are just made up and really exaggerated for the purposes of of tv and 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 you know end up with something where you're like oh not only is this not going but we wrote something we don't even really stand by mm. because you just got and and i assume that jamie probably was helpful in it, it, it sounds like the, the studio's not even giving you, or the network's not even giving you the kind of notes that would have made you veer off course. But if they had Jamie, you know, was probably that steady hand, mm-hmm. you know, th- throughout helping you guys deal with the notes and, and make sure you kept your eye on what you wanted to do. Yeah, having talked to like you know friends that have been through this process, having then gone through it again, I do, we had a wonderful experience. Like even for it not going, I did feel loved and supported, and like our story and our families were really being taken care of. And so, and I don't, and I know that's not always the case, even when it is a personal story. And so that was, that's what everybody kept saying afterwards. Like you don't hate anybody. Everybody. <laughs> was so thrilled and impressed and like for you guys to get this close on your first shot like it was real consolation prize stuff but it did it it does matter at at the end of it yeah we the thing i remember was like i understood the reasoning behind every note we got except one and so we went through and like literally one we went through like every time they gave us notes, I was like, man, I thought network notes were supposed to suck. <laughs> like, how are they? They're like right over and over again. Like, and I'm not saying that this is not a, like I'm trying to like suck up to ABC. Because right, those execs are probably not there anymore. So why not? <laughs> exactly. They're all gone. Uh, like it just was truly like smooth sailing. And then when we got to the one note uh, that I was kind of like, I think that's going to really screw up the structure. I think like this is a note that I don't know how to take without torpedoing a lot of the stuff that's good about this. And like, we actually like sat down and we tried to do it and we were like, this is impossible. We can't do this. So we told Jamie and she was like, Oh yeah, no problem. You've said yes to every other note. They're going to be fine with you saying uh, no to this one. And I was like, are you sure? And she was like, yeah, she called him. She called us back like 10 minutes later. She's like, they said, it's fine. Just don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wow. Like she's, she was like absolutely just the best partner, the most supportive. I mean, I, I listened to the, the tribute episode, uh, uh, that, that y'all did and everything everybody said, I was like, it's, it's amazing that she was so consistent with everybody. She was like, uh, like she just told you exactly what was wrong with your script in a way that felt super honest without being mean. Uh, like could kind of, I don't know, just like, 
feel what you wanted to be doing and guide you in the direction to do the thing that you wanted to be doing while also managing all of the crazy business stuff that like usually people are good at one or the other. And the fact that she was very good at both, uh, I don't know, like even thinking about it right now, I'm getting like choked up. Yeah. Like it's, she was amazing. Yeah. Just that writer brain that she had, um, you know, which was so helpful. And then at the same time, just, yeah, knew everyone and knew, had known them for a long time and they respected her so she could, you know, no producer can get your show picked up. You know, it just doesn't, no one's got that clout, but you just knew if anyone was, you know, all the things that could be done to give you the best chance she was doing and she was talking Uh to the right people and pushing for it. And, you know, but ultimately, yeah, no, no one actually has that power. And especially, I assume you're probably in the like Channing left and did the Channing to carry transition. Is that kind yeah. of like, yeah, because I had a pilot mm-hmm. that I had a pilot that same uh, season, you know, and also got caught up in like, OK, Channing was really looking to, for this kind of show, which we sold to her. And then she left and then no, they weren't interested in that kind of show. And that happens all the time. You know, if you yeah. listen, people listen to this podcast a lot, it's just like it's almost, you know, absurd how often people are like, well, there was a regime change it's like yeah of course there was that's just like <laughs> it happens so frequently but so you then uh, so this one doesn't go but you kind of then sold another show with with the same players kind of right with with jamie and to abc uh, after this yeah. yeah the next year and it we you know we took some months off i think and definitely like licked our wounds i was like i'll never do this you know i was devastated <laughs> um and and then yeah we we developed with Jamie again and wound up all the same places. ABC did buy that one in the room. And so that's why when you were saying like, don't feel bad, it was like, well, they did it. And everyone else had passed at that point, but like ABC didn't know. And so I started crying in the room and Jamie was like, well, there goes our leverage. (laughs) I just was so relieved. I was so relieved. Yeah. It was funny. I remember leaving that because like selling something in the room, it does feel incredible. It's like, it's, it, it was crazy. And we walked out and I was like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And, and I looked at Jamie, I was like, did you know that was going to happen? She's like, I had a good, I, I had a good feeling. Also not your best pitch. <laughs> and, and she was a hundred percent right. Like I had like lost my place multiple times, like hadn't really delivered the jokes right in the right places. Like I was like very nervous for some reason. And I think it was, you know, it's one of those things where, they liked us. They liked having worked with us. Our show idea was not terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was, I think, an, an easier yes for them that time. But it was still, I don't know, Jamie just always made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that honesty. So it was like yeah. not totally a layup, but you you were pitching to a, like, a, a, a crowd that was inclined towards wanting to work with you yeah but they there was only one carryover from the pitch the year before okay. everyone was gone so they had worked with us like I, I they hadn't even worked with us i think they had read the pilot and probably heard that we weren't monsters okay. um and so and we had one smiling nodding face and and, and that was you know enough but right. we were in like a smaller room i remember the year before we were in like this giant room this year we were in this like smaller room i'm like oh this is a bad sign like reading into the room sizes yeah you read into every little thing like that right when you're um <laughs> how did you when you pitched 
So, I mean, Megan, you're obviously you're you're a stand up, you're a performer. Aaron, you you were you come out of UCB, am I right? That's right. So, you're both performers. Um, how did you do that pitch? Did you have? I'm always curious how people do it. Were you off book? Was it? Were you, did you have pages you're reading from? How rehearsed were you in terms of like who says what and the back and forth? Pretty off book, I think. Yeah, fully yeah. off book. Yeah, like I had it, I had the pages in my hand in case I got lost because um, I found out it when we pitched our second show oh, yeah. and I kind of knew this about myself. I have it like if I get nervous, I will forget where I am. Like I'll, I'll have like a moment where I just kind of like zap out of my brain and I'm like, wait, what are we doing? Where am I? What am I supposed to say? Uh, and like it doesn't last long, but uh, like I think probably not even long enough for a lot of people to pick up on it, but like. I feel the need to have it so I can read from it. Worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. But we like ran it a thousand times. Yeah. And, and when there when there's two, it's like if he lost a place, I would be able to like it was we knew our parts. But then you also did kind of know the other one's part. I mean, even you saying the farmer's market, I'm like, oh, we used to practice at that Starbucks. Like our our <laughs> first pitch, we met at that Starbucks. I had just gotten my IUD out and people were like, you should not schedule anything. And I was like, it'll be fine. And then we did our first pitch and I was like, oh, my God, I'm dying fully. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we yeah, we the, I love like. I mean, this is probably a, a side effect of Jamie being gone is like when I drive around the city, I'll be like, I remember that coffee bean. Like there's just places where I'm like, we used to meet and work there because this is pre pandemic and you can just, you know, be wherever <sighs> and yeah, everybody's man, practicing their pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of uh, the pikey. Yeah, oh, nice. that's a good rest, spot. Rest in peace. It's I know gone. it was like one of the early like in the yeah. pandemic, I feel like one of the first places to chuck it in i know yeah um and are you so are you guys working together on something now have you you know after those two are you have you continued to do stuff together we we had a um we had a show based on aaron's sort of hometown area and then how my grandfather ended up leaving my grandmother that was <laughs> that we developed with jamie and that and actually had pitched it and then just so much changed in the world that we were like this actually isn't kind of the show we wanted it was it was set in the south and it was you know going to be a network like isn't the south wild sometimes and we just <laughs> kind of were like you know what fuck the south actually um we don't want to do that and then we were working on um, a piece of IP uh, with Jamie and then that that's when Jamie um, fell ill and then we have plans to try and ch- try and change reboot the Alzheimer's um, trilogy verse <laughs> <laughs> yeah the Alzheimer's verse into yeah. into a movie of, of some sort that it, that also deals with it. Yeah. Still Alice part two. Yeah. You guys, still are, working Alice a, you guys are working on a sequel. Like yeah, even, 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 even more. more Alice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this time she's got a gun. <laughs> uh, so how, how was hearing it and, and reading those, reading that part for you, Megan, uh, I don't want to downplay your the part you played uh, in the read, Aaron. But I'm just um, look. This this is my life. Yeah. <laughs> but how did that feel after I mean, being away was, from it for a while? It was honestly like magical um, because our lives have changed so much. Like when we wrote this, I wasn't 
married and and now I ain't, you know, like it just, it was kind of, I could tell how, how far we'd come and, and how much had changed. But hearing it, I was like, God, I'm still really proud of this. And I still really love this story and love these characters. And I think to feel that way, however many years later is probably rare. Yeah. And it was, I also, I didn't say anything to him, but uh, having Joshua Molina in there while Brad is like doing a Bartlett speech was very surreal and funny to me. I was like, uh-huh. Oh, like that. I didn't even think about it until like he was doing it. <laughs> I know what's so funny is I didn't either. And then as it's <laughs> happening, it's just like, Oh my God, this is, yeah. you know, uh, this West wing all coming together. Is, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. I got a little mad too. Cause I was like, this is good. I don't <laughs> know what I, like that, that's still like, even when people will be like, what was the show you did? I'm like, I'll tell them. I'm like, it was really good. I don't know what happened. Like you start, <laughs> you get like, you get broken up with again. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a show we keep, like, like you said, we're working on this. We've kind of been very gradually. We're both kind of busy on our own separate things. Uh, we really love working together. Like I, I don't know if there's ever been a person I've worked with who's easier to work with and that I feel like we, like we get along, like we balance each other's like kind of senses of humor out Mm -hmm. in a really like healthy way. Um, And so we want to turn this into kind of like maybe a slightly like higher concept, like uh, almost like a, like a crime, like we're we're, we're talking about it in like, like a heist kind of thing (laughs) involving uh, that involves a woman with Alzheimer's, but it's like, it has a similar vibe, I think. Um, and like, we just care about this script. Like I don't, there's not any other scripts I've ever written. Like once they're passed on, I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> uh, but like this one, I keep, I, I like, yeah, I care about this one. So hearing it out loud was very meaningful. Well, you know, it's so clear that the, the, the characters like that, you really just really know these these characters or these characters are very real to you. There's so much little character detail, even from right at the beginning, that thing with watering the plants. And it's, you know, those kinds of things that just feel the texture of it when you're writing, you know, people, the characters that are based on people, you know, that, you know, that was really evident here that they're not just types, um, Mm -hmm. that, that they're fully realized dimensional, people um which i think you can also tell when it's very easy for actors to just like drop in and and play those parts and find the character immediately in the case of suzanne crier like (laughs) literally seeing it for the first time but it was very clear um because because there's that specificity that that you had you feel that you know uh, reading it and hearing it that it was just like oh okay the you know these are fully fleshed characters in there in their minds and they know how they will react in any situation. And so, yeah, I'm sure that's what makes it hard to, to let go of because you love those characters and you want to keep writing them. Um, but uh, it was really, it was, it, it's, it's a great script and, and just, um, you know, to, to take on something that, that, that can be heavy, but to be, you know, to both be true to it, you know, but, but keeping it light and keeping it clearly a, a, a comedy and to have that be, you know, something that you guys did you know, for you, Megan, basically the first, you know, script that, that you wrote. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's impressive and always, always love hearing stories about people working with Jamie. So that, that's great, too. So thank you for letting us do it. <laughs> Thank no, you thank so you much for all the kind words and yeah. and 
letting us do it. It was, yeah, it's great. It's been a, it's been a treat for us. And I've, I've kept my family abreast of this too. So I'm like, my dad always goes, make it into a mini series. I'm like, all right, you call, you call Walt Disney and you tell him that's what we're doing, dad. All right. Well, I hope that, I hope all the family members enjoy it and feel that they were portrayed in a you know manner that it's, it's okay with them. Yes. Um, but all right. Well, great to talk to you too. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling. You can follow us on social media to find out all the latest. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. I am really excited about next month's pilot. We've got a zombie comedy for you just in time for Halloween. It's a really good one. The End by Lindsay Shockley. Uh, great cast such a funny pilot so make sure you come back for that until then i'm andrew reich thanks so much for listening maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported